Hello everyone from Humane Design and Innovation. I welcome you all to L&D Innovators, the podcast that's all about helping you thrive in the world of learning and development. I'm your host Vishal Tarak and on this show we are going to dive into insightful conversations with experts to empower current and aspiring L&D professionals. Today we are honored to have Advait Menon on L&D Innovators. With over 15 years of HR and L&D experience, Advait is currently a senior leader at DWA in Dubai. Also having contributed his expertise to renowned organizations like KPMG, Mercer and more. He has also been recognized as India's top emerging HR leader by People Matters and DDI. Join us into this conversation as we delve into Advait's journey. His transition from India to Dubai as a unique approach to conventional and unconventional learning styles insights on tackling learning fatigue the latest innovation happening in l&d space especially in blockchain the influence of spirituality on his career and how design thinking keeps his creativity flowing get ready for a thought provoking discussion with advait menon so advait uh, before moving to the main uh, theme of the podcast which is around the l&d space uh, i wanted our listeners to understand about your journey Uh, so that they can have a bit of in context of where you come from, where have you reached in that manner. Thank you, thank you so much, Vishal. So uh, let's start with my education. So, like most Indians in India, my parents asked me to do my engineering. So I have a basic engineering degree in information technology. Then my PhD is in business strategy. Uh, my initial part of my learning journey was during my PhD program, which was quite unique for me. uh because of the kind of freedom that i enjoyed uh the ability to explore different things during my uh, doctoral education uh, as a fairly young uh, uh young man at the age of 21 uh, that really helped me shape up my learning career then i was very fortunate enough to work for some really innovative companies and more so mentors who actually gave me the freedom to learn so whether it was my first job at uh, grow talent company limited which was which had just founded school of inspired leadership or the one after that which was at international data corporation where i headed the india research uh, or whether it be at mercer or kpmg i was very fortunate enough to have mentors uh, who actually guided me the right way gave me the freedom uh, to express myself and that really uh, helped my learning journey so that's a brief introduction of me Okay, Advait. So all of those roles that you were mentioning, all of them were part of L and D, or uh, was it like in different spaces, and then you stumbled into this? So I would say I have been an HR practitioner, not specifically L and D. So I worked okay. in the HR transformation space where L and D happens to be a part of it. Uh, so learning, in my opinion, is not just L and D. So for example, um, if you were to look at, if I were to think. uh back from my childhood days or during my education days during my engineering or phd days my learning was primarily driven around self learning i learned by doing so for example i remember when we were kids you know uh, kids during those days used to go for tuitions to yeah. teachers i recognized fairly early in my childhood that i cannot study through tuitions uh, it's just that i am not comfortable enough somebody teaching me so i was happier studying on my own or writing down what i was uh, learning and that was my way of retaining um re- memorizing or retaining whatever i have learned uh, so for me self learning was key during my education days during the work life period which was when i started working after my phd 
I believe mentors and the situations had a huge role in my learning. All the theory yeah. that I had learned in the practice, the role of mentor. While I did not realize it then, at that point of time, I was a young, ambitious man. Right now, when I reflect back, I think the way I was guided by my multiple mentors it really, really helped me. Okay. Now, in the current phase of my life, I am looking at more of self-discovery. My need to update myself constantly. So. learning is a process and it reinvents or rediscovers itself as you grow so while corporate learning and development might have been my field of work uh, in some aspects or the other uh, but learning as a journey has been different and quite unique interesting interesting uh, i also know that currently you are based in dubai uh, am i yes, correct I'm, yes i am so i think so you have worked in india and dubai uh, at this matlab like in your whole journey Uh, mm-hmm. What are the f- things that you have found different in terms of cultural and professional environment? Also, uh, what do you feel has been different? See, uh, fundamentally, the environment for learning is not much different. Whether you move from India to Dubai, I have also been in some parts of Africa and th- and for a certain period of time in US as well. So the fundamental mm-hmm. fundamental aspect of learning actually don't change. So, for example. learning is a choice so a learner needs to have an intent to learn so that's fundamental if that's not there learning will not happen second mm-hmm. is there is there has to be an aptitude to learn right if mm-hmm. you have a, so whether you have the ability or the aptitude to learn or not then comes you know how you learn there is the theory aspect of it then there's a practical aspect of it that does not change when you move from geography to geography however there are some some differences when you look at it from a corporate uh, setup For oh. example, India is world's largest democracy. Hey. So we have all grown up in a democracy. So even corporate organizations are almost run semi-democratically, right? So you see that in the way learning is driven within India. But when you move to different parts of the world, it it, it changes. So for example, in this part of the world, it is slightly more hierarchy hierarchy driven, right? So for okay. example, the choice between uh, freedom and controlled freedom in terms of learning and what you want to learn how hey. the good aspects of being in middle east is that the budgets are significantly higher right okay in indian organizations you might have limited budget here there is a practically unlimited budget for experimentation hey. uh, there's a difference in the type of innovation that happens in learning in india versus the one that out that happens out here in india uh, there's a regard for process right hey. there is innovation but here the time for innovation is fairly fast if they find something new innovative attractive they adopt it fairly faster you don't have to so you actually skip the hoops and you bring it to fruition fairly fast interesting so probably maybe indian people are more risk averse in term, compared to the people outside i wouldn't say that you know each geography has its own uniqueness and its own beauty so it's okay. just that our innovation thrives in different parts of the world and when we experience that Uh, hmm. Do I admire it, in the, especially okay. in the learning and development space? Okay, okay, got it, Arvind. Uh, so, any specific learning moments in your life that, uh, since you have been highlighted that there has been way, like your learning journey has been amazing in that terms. Any specific those moments that you can remember in that way? Yeah, yeah. So, um, if you look at learning, right? So, we talk usually talk about multiple intelligences. You know, people learn by. through different intelligences that we have spatial like so i figured out that you know i learn by doing right some people mm-hmm. learn by reading some people learn by listening 
usually the aha moments of learning in life actually stays with you and i'm i know you are asking me from a corporate point of view but i would urge you to think back all the way from your childhood so i'll give you three four different examples that will actually help you i remember my parents left me alone at home so this is the first example my parents left me home uh, left me alone at home and uh, the maid was on leave that day so and i must have been all of 5 or 6 hmm yeah. everybody as a child is actually taught you know don't poke your fingers into the uh, electricity socket right you will get an electricity shock but the child you don't know that right yeah. what i did i used a tester and i removed the heating of the tester and i used uh, another uh, wire and i joined positive and negative there was a huge blast there was a uh, the fuse saved my life i had a burnt finger but that is an aha moment as a child you you now know that you know you play with electricity you get a shock you study that in books later on in your life right mm. similarly in learning you usually have aha moments or say for example when i was 10 or 12 years old right when we watch cricket as indians we all love cricket right mm. in the days of ipl people talk about power hitting but as a kid or as a youngster when you play cricket you know that when you are batting there's a difference between power hitting and timing the ball you will always remember the moment in your life when you first time the ball you may not have hit it fast but it effortlessly flew off right hmm. so learning always has aha moments that actually helps you retain your learning in a longer period of time and that actually defines learning and practice consistent meticulous practice really helps now i will not use a learner i will not use an educational example for that i i use a different example that comes to my mind so i'm closely associated with chinna mission uh, from my childhood so one fine day we were actually attending a pravachan and i was in charge of seating the guests okay now, as youngsters when we play cricket or when we go out somewhere we are used to uh, hurling abuses at each other using slangs and different kinds of languages but that fine day because i was in charge of seating the guests A, any person who was coming in i used to fold my hands and say hariyom and i used to take them to their seat so mm. maybe today in the evening i must have said hariyom at least 2000 or 3000 times then i'm returning back in my bike and i meet with a small accident for no fault of mine when that accident happens i remember my natural tendency would be to urge to to speak out something which is slang or give a shout out but that very moment from my mouth came out the word hariyo so which means because i had actually practiced that for a long period of time that came out so hmm. similarly in a learning from a learning perspective if you practice a skill or if you do something repetitively and you realize that that's good for you or for your work when the actual time comes it actually manifests itself because you have practiced it it becomes muscle memory so that's the good thing about learning or say for example i remember from my corporate life once we were working with uh, the max group those days they used to have an insurance company called max new york life it was a joint venture with new york life we did a strategy workshop for them with 2000 people in the same space so it's called a large scale interactive process from a theory perspective we had studied it we had known how a large scale interactive process works but when you see that happening for the first time with your own eyes your conviction and your belief gets reinforced from a learning perspective so that's the aha moment correct to learning perspective i would always request that you know why there are two things that you need to focus on not just the pro so first one is the process you know the repetitiveness that actually helps you for retention and the second one is when you 
realize what you're learning. So there always has to be an aha moment, whether it is the electricity shot or for a batsman, the ability to time or uh, as somebody who is practicing a skill, doing something repetitive enough for it to actually manifest the same way as it should manifest when the time is right. Okay. So Advait, actually one question here. Uh, now since uh, there are two types of learning that I have seen generally, you learn from your own experience or you learn from other people's experience where either someone is sharing with you something uh, maybe like this electric shock incident, someone from their experience would have told you that don't go and touch that. But you still went and uh, touched over there because yeah. <laughs> you wanted to experience it. Now, how do you distinguish between those situations where you should learn by doing yourself and where you should learn from other people's experience? It happens when your intellect is mature enough, right? So as a child, you don't know. And as you mm -hmm. grow up into your adulthood, you're wiser to read it uh, from the book or learn from other people's experiences, right? So for example, that's a philosophical way of actually answering this question. I would actually use the philosophical way of answering this question. Uh, so my spiritual teacher used to tell me the distinction between faith, conviction, faith. and belief. Now, imagine a small child, you ask the child to jump from the table onto your arms, the child will just take a leap because the child has faith that the father or the mother will actually catch me. Hmm, correct. Okay. The child does not know better, right? Yeah. Ask an adult to actually jump off from a cliff with a parachute for the first time. If they must have studied, you know, how a parachute works, right? But the first jump is actually a leap of faith, right? Yeah. The second one is conviction. When you have actually done it on your own, one time, two times, three times, right? So then conviction comes. If I do it this way, it works. Hey. A sales team member in a sales team, he knows how to close a sale, right? So he will keep on doing it that way. Or a production line manager, right, in an assembly line, he knows if he does it in a certain way, the efficiency will be higher, right? Hey. So first comes faith, then comes conviction, the third comes his belief. When nothing is going your way, you follow the systems, you follow the processes, and you have a belief, like we believe in God, right? I've done everything well, something is going to work out for me. So the belief system actually... Uh, works out. So that that's how you figure out, you know, whether you do it on your own or whether you learn from others. So it varies from territory to territory, right? At what point yeah. of time you experiment. If it's an uncharted territory, you you, you learn by walking with faith. If it is okay. something that others have actually experienced before you, then uh, you learn from them. Sometimes you really want to experience it on your own. Everybody knows uh, you know, gliding is beautiful. Yeah experiences you have you have to take a leap of faith right so yeah yeah interesting perspective there is also one more thing that i've heard about you that uh, you frequently go to coffee shops and uh, learn from kids in a very unconventional way like what is about that so i had this uh, interesting perspective so uh, uh, it was maybe three years back uh, i started getting uh, interested in the blockchain space quite a bit and my only avenue to learn was YouTube or read the white papers that were actually available online. But being in Dubai, it really helped me to find some of these meetup groups where I could listen to these young minds about perspectives that I was completely unaware of. So, so I used to go and sit because I was not able to initially meaningfully participate with them because I was like a novice. And they used to come up with these interesting ideas so, and I used to listen to them. And that was my way of actually uh, keeping myself updated. Then I started meeting few startup CEOs and they have this uh, 
lovely concept that I've heard, which is meeting just like that, JLT. So, so these innovators of these startup CEOs, they sit in coffee shops and they just meet, they just discuss random things and they have absolutely no agenda. The purpose being out of something so random and without an agenda, something interesting might come up. If they do five, six such meetings, maybe in one or two meetings, some interesting idea might come up that might be of importance to them. And I have found this very fascinating because this is an extremely unstructured way of learning because um, at a certain point of time in my life, I had learning fatigue. I mean, I was not interested in learning in the same traditional ways. I, I still remember a point of time in my life where I could read a 20-page research report within 30 minutes. But um, today, my mind is not amenable to that. So I was looking for variety in my life and that's how it came into my life. So these coffee shop meetings actually came into my life. Okay. So actually two follow-up questions on this. Uh, first thing is that uh, you said that like meeting just like that and seeing whether where it takes, like there is no outcome that you're looking for it. Uh, but now how do you justify that time that you're investing? Like, is it a belief that it is going to come or have you seen any sort of uh, progress, maybe your success by doing this? You remember we started by saying learning is a joy. Yes. Right? Smoking is a joy. Going mm. to gym is a joy. Even eating food is a choice. So, mm. time is the only finite asset that you have in your life and when you go to spend your time whether it is with friends, family or playing cricket or learning or even going to work it's a choice. So similarly when you choose to go to a coffee shop or meet somebody just like that it's a choice. You just decide to invest your time and then see if it is worth uh, worth the returns that you are expecting from it as an individual. If it works out once, lovely. Maybe sometimes it wouldn't work out. Maybe some people are extremely conscious about their time and they wouldn't want to do that. So what they would do is they would listen to a podcast or a YouTube or somebody they regard uh, important and you know spend their time wisely. But for some others, it's a different way of learning and it, it clearly depends on your aptitude towards learning. You know, what form of learning uh, you are amenable to. Hmm. You have a very interesting way of learning. Like you try to do things differently and then maybe see where it takes you, like also learning from your experience and at the same time how you have learned from mentors uh, across the whole journey. I, I was actually very, very um, fortunate enough to have the uh, kind of mentors I have had in my life and I'm glad that you actually brought it up. So, I have mentioned it to you earlier that I learned by doing, right? Mm -hmm. I forget my... I call my PhD as my first stage of learning in my adulthood, primarily because my, I had five professors who were in my PhD committee and the kind of freedom that was accorded to me as a researcher in my mind was phenomenal. So that freedom to learn, the freedom to experiment was so phenomenal that it left an in, indelible mark in my mind. Then when I joined my first job, I was extremely lucky. I had three wonderful professionals joins of the industry who are actually mentoring me in the same organization without me knowing that I was actually getting mentored because I was this young bright kid who was arrogant and ambitious but yet I was being mentored in the first couple of years and I had no clue about no clue about it but the kind of freedom they gave me the kind of avenues for growth and learning that they provided me I have been never thankful so it was Nirikai Suri it was Anil Sachdev and it was Arunav Banerjee these were the three gentlemen that I actually met in the first two years of my job who actually introduced me into HR consulting because by learning, I was a PhD in strategy, a bachelor's in information technology. So HR, right. I, I actually learned HR through practice 
by actually working under them, going to projects, sitting in their MDCEO meetings, so on and so so forth. So, so 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 that's the role that mentors played. And then when I grew up within the consulting ladder later in my life, so for example, I still remember my stint with KPMG in uh, uh, in Bombay when I was actually asked to manage the Bombay office. I realized that during that phase, my learning from my peers was significantly high. So I had peers at my own level. I mean, you know Ajay. So there was Ajay. There was a gentleman called Pintu Singh who is a partner right now, and there was another gentleman in Pune called Rohit. So I had some of these peers who were more or less working in related areas, but not in the exact area. My learning from them was significantly high, and I had a very bright set of reportees from XLRIs, TIS, and IAMs, and uh, they were of the same age group. Being around so many bright people really, really accelerated my learning curve. So one was from mentors, the second was from peers uh, during my life. Okay, uh, that's interesting. So you are actually always looking out for learning from situations, people, wherever you get it. You also mentioned this concept of learning fatigue. Now, what is that and how do people overcome that? See, if we talk about learning, so before we address learning fatigue, Vishal, I don't know if you have heard of this um, research called uh, forgetting curve within learning. Ah, uh, no. Yeah. So, so in 1800s or uh, late 1800s or early 1900s, there used to be a German scientist called uh, Ebbinghaus. So he actually did this research on memory and learning, where he said that there's an exponential decline of memory. Hmm. Uh, any information that is provided to you. Within a day, the human mind loses fifty percent of that information. Okay. Within a week, the human mind loses ninety percent of that information. The only way to retain it is reinforcement of that, and he did that in practice over a, over a long period of longitudinal study. He actually did that, and he figured out that so this is the forgetting curve for for the human mind. So from a learning perspective, we should always remember. So, so what do we learn? So, there is an information that is provided to us. So, there is knowledge acquisition, and then there is skill that you practice. So, these are the basic two aspects of learning. So, from an information perspective, this is what happened. Now, it's very easy for a human mind or for an individual to actually have fatigue from the same kind of learning. So, you remember? So, I remember when we used to go to school. So, we used to have the same classes at the same way. So, you know, it was it was a consistent. Practice of similar style of learning year after year after year, but as we have grown over the years, there are different ways in which children are actually engaged. Right? Earlier, you had fewer avenues. You had the book, the web was not there. Then the web came in. Now you have got the podcast. Now we have the Instagram and the Facebook books, the LinkedIn's, the micro learning uh, concept out there. So there are so many ways that you can actually engage yourself in the process of learning. But what happens is. It's like so. Let's use a slightly different example from learning, then it becomes really clear, right? Yeah. If you go to a gym every day, as a youngster, it's easy because your body recovers faster, right? right? But even the best of gym consultants, they tell you that you know you have to provide your time, body time for recovery. So even if you are learning on a regular basis, there has to be a certain amount of time in your life, or. Or during the week, or during the month, depending on how your uh, how your mind and intellect are shaped, you should give yourself a break so that you don't have a learning fatigue. Because it's like eating too much of sweets. You know the law 
the law of diminishing marginal utility, right? So you should do too much of something. So I believe that in our corporate culture, sometimes, not all the time, sometimes there's an overdose of learning. And from mm. there comes a learning fatigue. So research also shows that children who, so why do they say that children who have a healthy mixture of uh, learning versus physical education actually do better than the ones who are completely focused on learning. So it's to actually address this learning fatigue. So if you keep on doing something again and a day, again you have a fatigue. So how do you address with fatigue? You give yourself rest. It's as normal as that. Or you try so to... So with that. one question over here, so what are the symptoms? Consider I as a person, I feel maybe I have learning fatigue or not. Like what are the symptoms that I see in me that I have got this fatigue right now? The first thing that you will notice is that your learning incrementally reduces and your excitement levels are lower. Okay. Yeah, so that's the first symptom that you will notice. The second symptom that you will notice is that your retention is not significantly higher or if it's a skill that you are practicing, you are not actually efficient enough. Then you actually give yourself a break. So, so this is as simple as it gets. Right, then you give yourself a break, you get into a certain amount of introspection and then you address that. Okay. Interesting. Uh, so now actually moving to the L&D and HR space in corporate setup, uh, mm -hmm. there is often this, I don't know, it's a saying that innovation tends to be the last focus in the L&D space. Uh, firstly, what's your take on this? And uh, like, what's the reason behind that, if it is true? <clears throat> See, you're asking me about innovation in the L&D space, right? Yeah, correct. Now, if you look at L&D, it has got three aspects. First aspect is the content, right? Mm. Yeah. The second aspect is delivery. And the third aspect is learning experience. I may or may not agree with your statement around, you know, innovation taking place here in the end. In some cases, it could be true. In some cases, it may not be. So, for example, content innovation is taking place significantly mm. all around us. right? So, whether it is in the field of engineering, whether it is in the field of technology, whether it is in the field of art, right? Correct. Now, mm. that content when somebody learns, right? That innovative content when somebody learns, then would you call it an innovation in L&D or would you call it an innovation in that discipline of content correct so so that's the question right so lnd is an integral part of most disciplines right so so that's yeah. then the second comes delivery delivery innovation is, has actually taken place all around us we talked spoke about micro learning we spoke about new different platforms the different learning experience platforms that have come in uh, people being more conscious about how delivery is being done in lnd either through storytelling or through design thinking or through different aspects or through different other aspects right so, so that kind of innovation is actually uh, taking place. However, there is one thing that we should remember. Learning as a process may be standardized within organizations to address mass markets, but learning as a process for an individual is actually very unique. So when you bring innovation and you try to implement innovation within L&D, you usually tend to standardize the process. However, there has to be an attempt made to protect the uniqueness of the learning experience of the learner. So, so that's where, so that's where the marriage between you know innovation and innovation within the LND space should actually take place. Uh, how how you bring in technology, how you how you do everything 
yet curate the learning experience for the learner because the moment you start curating it it becomes expensive okay makes sense yeah it does so in terms of like so what are the things that you are seeing right now maybe trends or something that you are seeing right now which is happening uh, in this space like uh, in terms of delivery content like you just mentioned anything so, so if you ask me i will say there are so many things happening but let's bucket them into three different categories first okay. one micro learning is happening which means okay. people are learning in short bursts and that is happening all around us whether it is through the social media apps or through the learning platforms in the organization micro learning has arrived and it is here to stay second one learning is no longer limited to a certain time frame that we will go to school and we will do it or we will go here or we will attend a training program and do do it right second thing is learning is happening anytime and anywhere that's the second thing that is happening the third one that is happening is multi form learning you can learn from your mobile phone you can learn from your tv you can learn on your tablet laptop you can go to an experiential camp and learn so multi form learning is actually happening so these are three things that are actually happening right now right and uh, so so that's my take so so that that's the answer to your question okay and you have also been recently involved in blockchain as you also mentioned at the start of the podcast anything probably you are seeing that uh, how this technology is going to impact in this space maybe the blockchain space is fairly nascent in its uh, in its development right now the first impact of blockchain space within learning would be on the content side how content is stored how content is distributed so that's the okay. first real world application that we are that we are actually going to see over the next 3 to 5 years time within the blockchain space beyond that there the field is so new and so innovative that uh, even i cannot fathom the kind of changes that it will bring into our learning experiences as we speak okay any like any sort of uh, pilot or something that you maybe have seen which has been applied in the space with blockchain maybe uh so for example uh, on the learning record side i have seen a work happening so i think in india right now i think the government has a program where uh, they have this digital locker where you can save and store your certificates right okay. so imagine how you verify certificates when you move from one country to another country that process was never transparent right mm. now imagine if everything resides on a blockchain that is endorsed by the government and it is verified at the click of a button somebody moving from one geography to another geography the certificates get verified the work experience get verified you know that process actually becomes very easy similarly from a content perspective right so if a website is down today uh yeah. content goes offline right so in in a world of future whether it is web 3 or web 4 whatever people are speaking about the content never goes offline once it's there out in the web it's there right and you cannot erase it all you can do is you can build on top of it so the content yeah. memory also increases as you move forward so i will okay. give you a small example i mean it may not be exactly learning and development but i'll give you a very practical example now say for example you have done your blood test in bombay and uh, you are flying to us right and suddenly you have some emergency and your doctor needs access to your records in today's day and world they'll actually ask you to do all those tests again if you are whether you are in us or whether you are in london or in japan but yeah. in the blockchain efficient world if it if that data has been verified and stored within the blockchain space you go to any part of the world and if those networks speak to each other the veracity of the facts is actually established and you know you don't have to spend time and effort in actually redoing those tests so, so there are multiple multiple applications of blockchain that, that 
that actually come into the fore. How exactly will it change learning and development uh, is a very interesting question. Uh, I think we'll have to ponder upon it more and figure it out. And maybe there'll be many millionaires made when they figure that out. That's a very interesting take. You have also, uh, Advait, if I am not wrong, you have set up various divisions in like in few of your companies before. Uh, now, this is something that not everyone gets to do in the space that you are in. What are the some challenges maybe and uh, some movements that stand out in your journey? You know, the first thing I realized that I was a difficult youngster. And mm -hmm. I realized that when I started mentoring youngsters. <laughs> so, uh, so the key challenges that start out when you are actually setting up a business or setting up uh, a consulting practice is that one, you are lucky if you have got a very talented team. And I, mm. I, I want to go on record to say that mentoring is actually not easy. It is one of the most thankless mm. jobs. It's not actually not easy. Managing a team of exceedingly smart individuals is difficult because the smart individuals are never conscious of the fact that they are actually being difficult. And then they have got a certain set of expectations from you. You need to meet that. Right? So for that, from that perspective, you have to put in an additional effort for the team to be actually successful. Because in all likelihood, they will be smarter than you because they are from a younger generation and they have got far more exposure as youngsters than what you have, that, 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 than what we had. The, se the second thing that one faces uh, is the need to set up systems and processes. I'm a huge fan of setting up systems and processes because if you have got your processes right, then your path to progress is faster or the path to innovation is faster or the path to profitability is faster. So these are the two lessons that I learned during my stints of actually having setting up businesses or consulting practices in different organizations. One, never underestimate the process of mentoring, uh, especially um, with an assumption that you have hired really smart and bright individuals and actually setting them up for success is very important. The second aspect being uh, setting up the correct processes for growth right from the start because if you wait uh, for long to set up processes then I think the time might be a bit late. Hmm, interesting. So team and basically system and processes is something which helps you in setting up divisions. Mentoring. So you can create a team. You know people say create that team but then how do you keep that team together because they look up, they have to look up to somebody to actually guide them through difficult situations. And that, those moments are very crucial because those moments stay with them. Like I have had my moments that have stayed with me. So those moments stay with them. Interesting. And uh, like, so coming to the LND programs, maybe uh, you might have done some sort of training programs also throughout your career uh, or set up some sort of training programs with other experts and all. Is there any specific reason that uh, I have also heard that many of the programs maybe fail uh, in delivering the what the value should be? So any specific reason, firstly, is this true? And secondly, any specific reasons why they fail and how can they be made successful? No one wants their L&D program to fail, correct? Right? Mm -hmm. Everybody wants it to be a success because there has been an investment that has been made. Right? Correct. So whether they fail or not, the statistics, I think I'm not the right person to respond to that. But I can give you my response on if they fail, why they fail? That's yeah. a very simple answer. When you go into a program, what you want versus what you get. Yeah. If there is a mismatch, then the chances of failure are higher. Right? What you want 
from the program from a learner's perspective versus what the learner gets. If there's a mismatch, then they are disengaged. So, first point, create the right set of expectations. Clear and right set of expectations for any learning program. Second, get the learners with intent. Somebody who does not have the intent of being there or the intent of learning, then they will not learn. So, it's as simple as it gets, like fundamentally like pick and stone. What you want should be aligned with what you get. Create the right set of expectations and then Get learners with intent. Then your programs would actually uh, succeed. Remember what we said when we started. Learning is a choice. Right? So if they, don't mm, to, if they don't choose to be there to learn, you can't force them to learn. Despite all the efforts, despite the most beautiful technology and advancements, imagine actually running a classic, beautiful learning program on the final of a World Cup match when India is playing. Will you have the attention of people no so when people so, are there they should have the intent the time the space should be created for them to learn and nice. they should get what they have come to get so that's why most good teachers or good uh, learning professionals set the expectations up front or get to know the participants expectations before they start the program okay so intent and expectations are something which is very important to engage people who are there in the program. Yes. And that. Interesting. And for people who are entering this L&D field, uh, like L&D or HR uh, field, uh, any sort of advice that probably you have for them to at least succeed in their career over here? I'm assuming that people who are entering into the L&D field have actually studied, have had the basic education in the L&D space. There is one thing that I would like to advise or I would like to request per se would be that technology is here to stay. So as an L&D professional or as an HR professional, learn how to interact with technology, not just as a user, but be relevant as a developer or a coder. Learn the basic syntax of new age programming languages such as Python, Haskell, Solidity, just basic syntaxes, because that's the future. You need to be able to speak to technology or to machines through an interface for your own work. If you are not able to do it, then you are not as relevant as the person that who will be doing that for you. So then you will need a translator or a coder to be able to do that for you. It's as, it will get as basic as people currently needing to know Excel or PowerPoint or Word skills, right? Everybody needs yeah. to know it because you do your own stuff. So similarly, basic coding would be a requirement. I would request all professionals to learn basic coding, to speak to the machines, to speak to technology. Okay. And Advit, other than being technically proficient, any other trait or probably a personality or attitude that you feel is required in this space to be successful in this uh, in this space? Uh, aptitude. The aptitude to learn should be there. One hmm. should uh, uh, have an intent to learn. One should be open to learning. The second thing is that one should, as a professional in this space, one should be conscious of other individuals, of the learners, of the learner's requirement and realize that, you know, not all learners are the same. Each learner is unique. Uh, are we yeah. able to address to that? So these are some of the basic qualities that every human being should have, right? So if you, if you have that, you ultimately become a better professional, whether, especially more so in the L&D environment. Be an active listener, for example. 
be an avid practitioner, for example. I mean, I can use lovely words, right? But the simple matter of the fact is that you have to understand the learner. Second, and you have to understand the space and the technology where you are operating, operating in, and that will actually make you successful. Okay. And uh, so, in the last uh, few minutes of our conversation, I have seen that technology is something that you are very uh, inclined towards. Uh, with all this innovation happening around the world, how important it is right now to build creativity or innovation skill? And any way how, like, firstly, you manage to do it and how you inculcate that in your company or organization? Uh, could you repeat that question again, please? So, the question is that right now all this innovation is happening across all the spaces in the world. Now, mm -hmm. how crucial it is to build such sort of innovation skill, like in yourself, uh, like being updated, thinking outside the box. And uh, secondly, how do you do that for your organization? Firstly, for yourself, and how do you do that for your organization? So, the answer to the first question is it's very important, right? And, and everybody knows that it's extremely important to have that. The second one is how do you do it? You do that by creating an environment for it. So, Thanks. for example, you will see that some organizations innovate faster and more than certain others. Then one, uh, when you look at and you study them, you realize that the innovation processes are in place out there, right? So, maybe some organizations practice design thinking in their work, right? Maybe some organizations have gotten, got certain microprocesses in place that allows for freedom and creativity. So, I, I do know of organizations such as Cisco. So, in Cisco, if you do something very innovative, they actually let you have a sabbatical from the company and experiment and the company funds it. And the company gives oh. you an option that, you know, if you if you are able to be successful, then we will invest it and we'll buy it out from you. So, that's how Cisco innovate. Such a large organization. But then you need to have this small, small processes in place. Like, why are certain R&D teams in certain pharma companies far more successful than certain others? If you look at their micro processes for learning and innovation, they actually have systems and processes in place. So that's first part. That's why they are successful. The second part is actually getting the right talent. There is no hmm. substitute for right talent and people with an intent to learn and innovate being there within the organization. Okay. But these okay. Two, yeah. Yes. This Cisco example is amazing. I've also heard Cisco had this uh, HR breakathon where in 24 hours they got all their HR teams together and brainstormed using design thinking and came out with some 50-60 odd ideas. Yes. Uh, if I'm, I don't remember yes. the article now. Yes. Yeah. So there are a lot of uh, uh, new age companies, large companies who are trying to, so, you know, some companies take pride, you know, they're a large company, but they still would like to behave like a startup, right? So what do they do? So you cannot have uh, a million people within the organization and still create the startup system. So you actually create small teams that have the independence of a startup, they have that have the freedom, that have the resources, and that have the right kind of learners with the aptitude to actually innovate. Yeah, right. So and 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 that helps. Yes. That really helps. Correct. Uh, in re in our conversation, you were also mentioning about spirituality. Uh, now, like you have been very much involved in it, from what I know. Uh, Firstly, like any sort of beliefs or practices that has uh, been helpful for you in learning, uh, like could be professionally, could be personally also. Well, I think I gave you that example, right? When I had gone to this uh, spiritual gathering and I used the word Hariyom and that came out. That was yes. my first aha moment uh, when I was associated in spirituality. I would say spirituality builds in faith within an individual. So in difficult mm -hmm. times, while we are all encouraged to question, sometimes a bit of faith really, really helps and takes you a long way. 
So in your life's journey or in learning, there has to be a faith. You know, if we we wouldn't be human beings if we didn't have faith or trust on someone, right? So at some point of time, you have to trust a mentor, trust a leader, uh, trust trust someone or trust in a higher power beyond yourself, whether it is God or somebody you really love or somebody who re- who you really respect. So that's where spirituality spirituality helps me. And when you love, respect, or revere someone, your learning becomes slightly easy because you have that element of trust, you have that element of respect, and your learning journey journey becomes faster. We as human beings are actually built like that. From an Indian perspective, the guru guru parampara, right? You know, so you have a teacher, the teacher who actually teaches the students. Yes. So that emanates from this very fact that you know there's an element of trust bestowed upon. So, for example, anything that I'm saying. Why would you take it uh, as true? Uh, why would you take it at it, or would you take it as face value? You take it because then you trust somebody, right? Yeah, so spirituality actually helped me in trusting people, having an element of faith that has helped me through difficult times and also has helped me in my learning. Okay, makes sense. Very interesting. Ah, uh, so Advait, firstly, like thank you for this. Uh, before moving to our very exciting lightning round that we have, uh, is there anything probably you want to share from your end which could be helpful for the listeners? I would say learning is a choice. Consciously enjoy that choice. When you make that choice, immerse yourself into the experience and enjoy that. Beyond that, I believe everybody is adult enough to know what is good for them or what is bad for them. I would just say that you know whatever you are doing, wherever you are doing, do it because you enjoy it, and then learning becomes far more enjoyable. That's great. A great insight to like finally move to our lightning round. Ah, uh, now the lightning round is very simple. I'm going to ask you a few questions. Whatever comes to your mind, you can just say it in that manner. And should we begin it? Sure, sure. Yeah. So my first question is, ah, uh, like, what is your preferred way to relax? Relax after. Or during a hectic day, which is going on at your work. So off late, I listen to my favorite podcasts or YouTube channels, and if I have time, uh, I would either watch or play cricket. Okay, okay. Any favorite podcast right now or movie that you have watched recently? So my favorite podcast would be this is a this is a YouTube channel called Into the Cryptoverse that I watch, and I like Coin Bureau as a channel. So these are uh, the top two channels in the blockchain space or the crypto space that I love. So I love, love. There are few others, but these are the two that comes to my mind, the top of my mind. Okay. Any favorite TV show or movie that you watched recently? I keep on watching uh, uh, quite a lot of it. Uh, I think uh, on Netflix, I believe I watched this series that suddenly doesn't come to my mind. Uh, wow. Like what was it regarding? Maybe I could help you. Yeah, yeah, you could help me. In fact, if I just switch on my TV, I think I'll remember the name. <laughs> <laughs> just. Ah, no, no worries. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, any skill that you could master, uh, like any, like if you have this uh, wish where you could master any skill instantly, what would it be? I'd love to learn how to code like a god. Oh. <laughs> That's a new one. Yeah, okay. Have to learn how to code like a god. Yeah. Crazy. Ah, uh, acha. Did you find your favorite TV show movie that you were talking about? Not exactly. I think uh, 
the second last one that I watched was Bonnie Heist Berlin and I was not too impressed by it. I think uh, the last movie I watched was this Leonardo DiCaprio movie on these uh, Red Indians in America. So, the Flower, Moon. the Flower Moon movie. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so, so uh, that's the one, yeah. Uh, if you could have dinner with any one person, be it dead or alive, uh, who would it be and why? My grandparents. I did not get enough time as a child with them. They passed away fairly early when I was very young. I haven't seen a couple of them. They passed away before I was born. If I could ever do that, I would love to have it with my grandparents. Okay, and what would be the one question that you would ask them? Nothing. I would just want to sit next to them and have something really nice. Okay, interesting. Uh, if there was a book that was being written by you, uh, like someone, uh, some author, what would be the title of the book that would be about you, like your autobiography? Vishal, if you want an honest answer, I would not want any books to be written about me. I won't have that ambition. However, I would pray and I would very much want that anybody who is a friend or, or people who are close to me who have interacted with me quite often, whenever they remember me, today, tomorrow or at any point of time, they close their eyes and they remember me, they should remember me with a smile. They should remember me in their mm -hmm. prayers and they should bless me with their heart. That's all I request for. So, so that's my current goal in life. No books for me. But if you know me, if you close your eyes, do you remember me with a smile? Do you bless me in your heart, from your heart? Yes. That's what I would request. And well, if I would be writing a book on you, I would put the title as Lifelong Learner. Maybe. Maybe. Across, <laughs> across the podcast, I have seen this theme that comes out a lot in your life. Great. Thank you. Uh, I think so. Thank last you question. Mm -hmm. And wait. Uh, mm -hmm. Any three people, so based on this podcast, any three people that you would recommend us to have as a guest over here in your network? Sure, sure. So three of my, I've, several, I've had several mentors. Three of my mentors. First one would be Nishchay Suri, who is currently the managing director for uh, uh, Cornerstone India. Second one would be Anil Sachdev, who was my first boss in my first job, who is currently the founder, CEO of School of Inspired Leadership in Gurgaon. The third one would be the current CEO of uh, Fino Payments Bank, uh, Rishi Gupta. So these are three mentors that I revere very highly in my life. And if they have time permitting, I would definitely put in a good word to them to actually get onto this podcast. Great. Great, Advait. Uh, thank you for being here. It has been a very insightful podcast for, uh, and it's going to be valued by the listeners also in that way. Much appreciate your time, Vishal, and I hope I was of some value to your podcast and I wish your podcast all the best. I wish you all the best in your life and career and the journey of learning. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning into another insightful episode of LND Innovators. To stay updated on our future episodes and continue your learning journey, don't forget to subscribe to LND Innovators on your favorite podcast platform. Before we wrap up, I'd like to introduce you to Humane Design and Innovation. It's a strategic consulting firm dedicated to helping corporate MSMEs and startups achieve extraordinary growth through proprietary methods like design thinking, storytelling, and agility. We specialize in FIXing both your top-line and bottom-line results. Whether you are interested in consulting, training, or innovative products, we have you covered. You can explore more about our services at humane.in, which is H-U-M-A-N-E-D dot I-N. We look forward to bringing you more valuable insights in our next episode. Until then, happy learning.